Steve Renko, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Catching up with all your favorite former Royals players. We do that and so much more on Clubhouse Conversation. It's Davo. Glad you're along for this episode of Clubhouse Conversation because we are joined by a Kansas Sports Hall of Fame inductee who also pitched for the Royals. Yes, Steve Rinko is his name. He went to Wyandotte High School. Grew up in KC his senior year of 1962. Wyandotte High School won state in baseball. That took him to KU after that, where Rinko was a three-sport Big 8 athlete at KU. Quarterback on the football team for a couple of years, starting there with Gail Sayers in the backfield with him. Played basketball and, of course, baseball. Rinko was picked up in a couple of sports. Could have played pro football. The Raiders drafted him. But it was baseball that Steve Rinko went after after he was selected by the New York Mets, came up through their system, and and that started a 15-year ultimate major league career where he spent time with the Expos, the Cubs, the White Sox, the Athletics, the Red Sox, the Angels, and finally the Royals in 1983. Steve Rinko, a big, tall, six-foot-five right-hander, had quite the major league career, a 399 ERA over those 15 years, a record of 134 and 146, and he joins us now on Clubhouse Conversation. Steve Rinko, who still lives in the KC area, how's everything going, man, and what keeps you busy in 2014? Well, you know, I haven't uh, really been too busy. I've, I've had a few, uh, oh, health problems that I've, trying to take care of and that's taken up a lot of time and and uh you know enjoying the the cool weather yeah well and are, are you watching the royals at all you know i don't watch a whole lot of baseball i pay a little bit of attention watch them once in a while but uh, uh it's just not part of my life anymore as far as uh, keeping track of them Makes sense. Now, a lot of people might not know that uh, your son, Steve Rinko III, actually had a really long baseball career as well. Made it as high as AAA. How's he doing? He's doing well. He played uh, three, 13 years, uh, correct, and uh, I kept trying to get him to get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> he waited, though, until he had to, right? Yeah. yeah he's one of the smart ones, I guess. <laughs> So before we go way back, you also were inducted into the Kansas Sports Hall of Fame in, uh, in 2010. How much did that mean to you? Oh, it means a lot. You know, any time that uh, the people that are that are involved and, and already been inducted, and you get to join them, uh, and there's some pretty pretty well known people in there. Uh, it was quite an honor. Well, you ready to go way back in time? Uh, as far back as I can remember, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were a three sports star at KU, but before we talk about that, let's go back to your high school days. You led uh, Wyandotte High School to a state baseball title in 1962, your senior year. What do you remember about that? Uh, quite a bit, really. Uh, it was it was a good ball ball team or ball club. We had uh, oh, I think four or five uh, pitchers at the time that were probably as good as anybody in the state and uh, uh, 
a lot of those guys that are that played then are still good friends that I see quite a bit. So uh, we can reminisce a little bit and and uh, and uh, pull up pull up different memories that uh, that were fun fun to be a part of. Yeah. So what made you choose KU then? And then which sport did you feel like was your best heading into college? You know, I didn't really have a favorite going into college. Uh, KU was probably going to be there oh, no matter who contacted me or who I talked to. And, and I think that most of the schools knew that. My dad had gone there. And uh, a lot of the coaches that were there then were, were players on his teams. So... I had that influence, uh, you know, for years. And uh, the only other real good opportunity that I had was after I had already signed a letter of intent, and about three or four weeks before school started, UCLA called and wanted me to go play baseball. Huh. Uh, but I'd made a commitment and, and went ahead and went to KU. Well, you were a three-sport star. So on the football field, you lettered as a quarterback in 63 and 64, and you shared the backfield with one Gale Sayers. What was it like playing with him? Well, in my opinion, probably the greatest running back ever to play the game. Uh, he did things that I didn't know could be done by human beings, and it was fun to watch. And that's usually what happened after you handed it off to him. You stood back and watched. And... and uh, Still to this day, and, and keeping a little bit of contact, I see him maybe once or twice a year, and uh, consider him a friend. Yeah, what a what a great athlete he was. So heading into '64 and '65, you were the only three-sport athlete in the Big Eight back then, as you did basketball at ten points a game. So on the hardwood, how much did you like playing at Allen Fieldhouse? You know, it was uh, it was a dusty barn. <laughs> I talked about. Uh, Playing at K State in the barn and and a few other uh, schools, but KU's floor was also a dirt uh, floor, and the basketball court was built three feet above the the dirt floor. and And I remember uh, it being a little bit dusty in there, but not too bad. Uh, but I enjoyed. You know, it, it was funny. Everybody asked, "What was your favorite?" and, and I don't remember having a favorite, but whatever was in season was my favorite. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed playing basketball when it was basketball season, football and football season, and, of course, baseball during the baseball season. Well, and baseball, too. You had a 0 0.99 ERA as a senior, and you hit 344 as well. So what are your favorite memories of playing baseball at KU? Uh, you know, those are kind of the, the fuzzy parts. Of the, I don't remember too many football games basketball games or baseball games I really participated in. I remember one or two pitches uh, in a baseball game uh, playing against certain players in, in basketball and in football and uh, enjoyed playing baseball. Uh, we had our, our coach was, was also a football coach. And Floyd Temple was his name, and he was a baseball coach there for many, many years. And uh, uh, just the travel of all the sports and, and of baseball. And, and uh, at that time, all the big eight teams had baseball, which is not true now. Some of them have either, of course, gone to another conference or whatever. But 
but didn't all all of them didn't have baseball. So uh, now and and when I played, they did, and that was also the difference: Big Twelve versus Big Eight. Yeah, Big Eight was way better, <laughs> I think. <laughs> the Texas schools screwed it up, but that's just my yeah. opinion. <laughs> Well, so you were taken by the Mets then in the 24th round of the 65 draft. They took you as a first baseman. So how did the Mets first discover you, and then what do you remember about the moment you found out you'd been drafted? Well, it was a strange deal because I was at um, up in Rapid City, South Dakota, in the Basin League, which was a good college league at the time. And uh, Floyd was the, the coach up there. And we were allowed to have two uh, players from from uh, KU uh, go up and play, and Fred Chan and I were the two pitchers that had come up. And right before the draft, uh, Floyd had come to us and said he wanted to bring up another young pitcher since we were both going to be seniors. And he wanted to bring up a young pitcher, and we were going to divide the time two weeks on, a week off, and just rotate the three of us. And I don't think that set real well with Fred. I know it didn't set well with myself. And, and uh, the day before the draft, I was I pitched in Pierre, South Dakota, and pitched no-hitter. <laughs> huh. And so then uh, two days after the draft, Charlie Fry, a scout for the Mets, came in and he said, well, we want to draft, we drafted you as a first baseman. I said, Charlie, do you know I just pitched a no-hitter? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yeah, but, you know, we've got pitching and we want, uh, we don't have a right-handed hitting first baseman. So I went back and I got to play every day, enjoyed playing first, and it was a different era in that you didn't have three or four coaches, you only had one, the manager. Yeah. And so... Batting practice was thrown by players, and I threw as much batting practice as I could and, and uh, threw all the time uh, and kept in pretty good shape. So spent three and a half, four years almost as a first baseman and then finally started pitching a little bit. Uh, oh, gosh, uh, I'm trying to think. In Williamsport, I got to pitch two innings on the last ball game of the season. And yeah. Started at first base the next year and and wasn't playing one day in in a ball in Florida State League and our number one draft choice was pitching and he wasn't doing well. Was, we gave up four runs in the first inning and so our manager Pete Pavlik says go down and warm up, Rinko. So I went down and pitched five innings and we won five to four and that was pretty much it. <laughs> but. You know, <clears throat> that was a time when all the guys were in the service. So anytime somebody would leave on their two-week uh, uh, stint in the service, I'd get to play first base, and so I got to continue to hit a little bit. I had the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, backtracking a second, so were you disappointed at all that the A's hadn't taken you, or did you not really care? Um, wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Nah. Did you watch them much growing up? Uh, I went over uh, and watched. My my dad worked at a bank, and the bank had box seats, and so every once in a while he'd get tickets, and and I'd go over and, and uh, get to watch and, and sit in the box seats and watch them. Cool, cool. So now, like we talked about, Oakland. Uh, well, we did. Oakland took you in the fifteenth round of the '66 draft. 
So was it ever to uh, you know, tempting to choose that pro football career? So the Oakland Raiders we're talking about now. Well, I think I think if you watch football, you know that you got a chance to get hurt. Right. You know, but I, it was a uh, what I would hoped was a uh, opportunity to get a little bit more out of baseball, which didn't really work out. But I did get the opportunity to go out and work out for him, and met Al Davis and sat and talked to him for quite a while. And during the workout, the rookie that was running patterns, because about all I did was throw it, throw the ball, uh, was Blitnikoff. So I did get to play a little catch with him. <laughs> well, that's got to be kind of In cool. the workout, which yeah. was neat, yeah. Yeah. So 1965, you were at Marion. 1966 at Williamsport, like you said. Was that the, the same stadium as the Little League World Series, or where did they play out there? No. they. We had an old, big, wooden stadium, and, and I remember going over to the World Series when it was there. Because huh. we were just getting back into town or had a couple days, you know, where we uh, coexisted or were playing uh, when they were finishing up or just getting started and got the opportunity to go up and sit up. What was up on the left field hill before they built all the new stuff. Yeah. And you could drive up there and watch from your car. <laughs> That'd be such a cool thing to be at. Yeah. yeah. So 1967, that was the year, like we talked about, the Mets converted you to a pitcher, and you were in Winter Haven that year. Then 68, you were in Memphis and Jacksonville. Now, i got to ask about the no-hitter you threw in seven innings in Albuquerque while with Memphis. Do you remember that night at all? Right. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember only because, as I look back, there were a lot of players that that played uh, in that ball game for, for the Dodgers that uh, – made it to the big leagues. Uh, I'm not sure Garvey was there, but Russell, Billy was there, and and three or four of the other guys that uh, finally went to the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, anytime you do something like that, it's it's uh, it's a thrill. Uh, but it's really kind of, you know, that's your job, too. So, you know, I never really thought it too much about it other than the fact that you did it. Yeah. Well, and you did it several times. So 1969, you got traded to the Montreal Expos. Now, that was the same year you'd make your Major League debut, obviously. But before we talk about that, so were you happy, sad, or a combination of both when you found out that you'd been traded to the Expos? Uh, you're, leave, you're leaving friends, uh, but you also know that it's an opportunity to go to the big leagues. And so I think that overrules anything about leaving friends, you can always pick up the phone and call your friends. Uh, but to go to a major league ball club, you, you don't get that opportunity all the time. So uh, it, was, it was a thrill. It was actually uh, a lot of fun because Montreal was a beautiful city, and we had some great fans the first four or five years. Yeah, well, you made your debut on June 27th of 69 against the Phillies, and it wasn't the best debut. You gave up five runs on four hits and two and a third, but then let's focus on the good things. So what do you remember about the moment you got that call up from AAA Tidewater to Montreal? Was there any cool story when you first got that call? Uh, I went from wherever we were, and I don't remember exactly. We were on the road. And so I had to go from there to Pittsburgh. Well, of course, you had to wear a suit when you're in the big leagues. So I had to go to a, <coughs> excuse me, I had to go to a um, 
uh, store and, and get a couple of uh, suits, and they didn't fit. Uh, they were able to tailor one within the three days and, and had to send the other one up to Montreal. Well, anytime you send anything to Montreal, there's a, a tax you have to pay or a duty. So I remember after going, we went from uh, Pittsburgh to New York to Montreal. So it was six days before I got to Montreal, and I got a got the package from uh, Pittsburgh, and they wanted almost as much duty on it as the damn thing cost. <laughs> so I said, "Well, send the dang thing back, and we're going back there in a week or two. I'll pick it up then." <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! So you know, there's there's experiences to everything that that you do, and that was that was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. It's fun. It was fun being the big leagues. Yeah, yeah. Well, from '69 to '76, you had a great run there with Montreal. Your best season was probably 1973. You went 15 and 11 with a 2.81 ERA. What sticks out about that '73 season? Um, you know, we played pretty good when I pitched that year, uh, which wasn't always the case. Uh, we didn't have a great ball club, and and. Uh, uh, I don't remember where we finished at the end, but I know we didn't come close to getting to the playoffs or winning the division or anything. Uh, there was only one year that I do remember we had a chance, and and it went down the last day of the season, but I don't remember if that was it or not. Anyway, uh, that year, uh, the only thing that upset me about that year is it was my best year. Uh, if you look at the years in, in Montreal, and I had a chance to make the all-star team, and there were two of us. Gosh, I'm trying to think of his name here while I'm talking, but two of us had a chance, and Sparky picked uh, oh, the big kid from uh, Philadelphia. I can't think of his name right now. We were both nine and six, huh. and uh, so that was that was a downer for me. I would like to have made the all-star team, but. Uh, those things happen, and, and uh, like I said, we had great fans for the first four years, five years we were there. And like everywhere you play, they start wanting a winner, and we weren't, we weren't doing it. And I think it turned just a little bit. And Plus, the French were having problems with the separatist movement. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So you keep hearing whispers about. I mean, I've and there's there's some movement, some grassroots things to bring baseball back to Montreal, even you know in 2014. So so what was the fan support like there? So the first four or five years it was good, and then they kind of quit showing up. Is that what happened? Well, I think you know they didn't stop showing up. You've got diehards wherever you play. Like I played one year in in Oakland, and we had a thousand people that showed up every every game. Uh, so you had your fans in in Montreal. And I can remember the first three or four years, it didn't matter if you got beat 15 to 1 or you won 15 to 1. Uh, you had to walk down the third baseline to get to the clubhouse. And they would stand there and, uh, good game, eh? You know? And I, you'd look and, well, heck, we got beat 15 to 1. It didn't matter to them. Uh, and that was the neat thing. Uh, playing in the, the old ballpark was was different. And... Uh, you know, it's too bad that they built or had to go to the big monstrosity that they had for the Olympic Stadium, uh, or I think baseball might still be there. Huh. 
Now, you threw uh, three one-hitter as well with Montreal. You had more later, but the three one-hitters with Montreal, which was the closest call to a no-no, and then was that ever frustrating to you to get that close and not quite get that? Well, you know, all three of those were early, early inning hits, so you're working on a one-hitter uh, any time close to the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, and, and uh, you didn't have to worry about a no-hitter. Well, there you go. So that <laughs> relieves some stress, I guess. Uh, so you played for the late Gene Mock while you were with Montreal, and then again later in your career with the Angels, and he'd also briefly coach with the Royals in 1995. What kind of man, uh, manager was Gene? Gene was a, I thought, uh, one of the smartest baseball people, minds, uh, that I had seen or been around. Uh, and Sparky, I'll include Sparky and... Rocher and all those guys because uh, they were all managing at the time and I I got to meet them or at least know them from playing against them um, Gene was always a couple innings ahead if he had a problem managing it was managing people uh, sometimes and of course you know he had the bad reputation for not being a good uh, manager of pitching so August 18th of 76, you got traded to the Cubs. Uh, so memories of that, you know, emotions of going to Chicago. Well, you, lose, you leave friends again. Right. Uh, but the funny thing, or neat thing, I guess, was that we were playing the Cubs, so it just was a matter of moving from Montreal's side to the <laughs> visitor's side. And at the end of the three games, I got on a plane and went to Chicago. <laughs> but as far as those three games, we were... Playing on on the uh, Montreal field, and I just had a different uniform on. <laughs> well, you were with the Cubs for the rest of '76 and then part of '77. What was it like, uh, you know, pitching there regularly in the north side of Chicago? Well, I I don't think that uh, the Cubs were ever going to win, and they still still haven't been a winner, right? <laughs> because you played too many day games. Yeah, it was strange going on the road for a week and playing six or seven night games and coming back and have six and seven day games and i don't think your body ever got used to doing that and so i can understand why they really struggled even with their good teams uh for years i was in montreal they had some good teams but i don't think it was ever going to happen as far as uh, being a winner until uh until they start playing all night games so you switch sides of the field from uh, Montreal to Chicago, and then you switch sides of Chicago in the middle of 77 from the Cubs to the Sox. You made it in eight games with the White Sox. Did you have any you know, favorite things that stick out about your brief times with the White Sox? Oh, it was, it was uh, a little strange going from, at least it was in the same city. All I did was go from north side to the south side, right. or vice versa. And, uh, you know, I was 5-0 and oh that the rest of that year with uh, the White Sox and went to spring training and uh, Lemon was the manager and and uh, he had been sick during the off season and I know that when we went into spring training we had 29 pitchers on the roster and the year before when I was 5-0 and I remember uh, Vec was the owner Bill Vec, yeah. and he had called myself and somebody else in, and he'd ask us about a player 
that they were going to try and get, and uh, which I thought was kind of weird for an owner to call in two players to discuss how good they were or if we should get them or not or if they'd help us. And, and I don't even remember what we discussed or talked or told him eventually. But uh, then the following spring, uh, I was traded. And I remember seeing Bill afterwards, and he said, uh, Steve says that was the worst trade I've ever made. <laughs> but uh, I was scheduled to be the starting pitcher for the next year, going 5-0. and And uh, I don't know what uh, what the deal was, why I was traded, but he got a little left-hander handed pitcher from Oakland, uh, Pablo Terrialba. Yeah. And... Uh, he traded the catcher and myself to uh, to Oakland. Yeah, so nineteen seventy eight, you were there. Did you get to know uh, Charlie Finley at all while you were with him? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I was the um, <clears throat> excuse me, I was the uh, player rep. Oh, so I had dealings with Charlie, and and uh, we even had uh, you know a situation where. I'm trying to think of the guy's name who was managing, started out managing. Used to be the uh, Arizona uh, Arizona State baseball guy. Anyway, uh, he came in one day and he said, uh, you know, I'm quitting. And this was near the middle of the season. And everybody's going, why, why? And uh, he says, well, last night he said, it was two o'clock, and I woke up out of out of bed and picked up the phone and said, "Yeah, what do you want, Charlie?" <laughs> and Charlie hadn't really called, but he was dreaming about it because Charlie had the you know infamous uh, phone directly to the dugout where he could call and tell everybody what what they what he wanted done. <laughs> but it was kind of funny, and then uh, uh, we had a new manager come in and. Uh, we actually played pretty good that year with a bunch of rookie pitchers, young young kids that threw pretty good. And, and Jack McKeon was the guy that came in. And uh, so our, my meetings with Charlie were all not really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a situation where I was pitching and we were playing uh, Chicago. And McKeon came out in the sixth. It was two to nothing. They were, we were losing, and the leadoff hitter got a double. And he came out and he made a motion for the reliever. And I told him, "What are you doing?" He said, "I'm playing a hunch." And I said, "Jack, take your hunches and uh, put them where the sun doesn't shine." <laughs> and so. I walked off. I was a little upset, and so I went up in the clubhouse and waited for the game to get over. Anyway, uh, he, the pitcher that came in gave up four runs, so now it was six to nothing, and we had scored five runs in the top of the next inning. Of course. <laughs> which is not the way it always is. Yeah. But uh, I waited for the coaches to get in the coaching room, and I went in and vented a little bit, and, of course, in Chicago, the old ballpark or the old clubhouse there, the, there was no top on the their little room. So everything just 
vibrated out into the main dressing room, and all the reporters and everybody were out there, and I had let Jack have it a little bit and everybody else. And we were going to, I take that back, that was Detroit, and we were going to uh, Chicago the next day. Of course, Charlie was in Chicago, and we got in, I woke up and read the paper, and it says, Ranko says that McKeon is Charlie's puppet. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I <laughs> figure, well, that'll, that's not good. <laughs> so I got up next morning, went down and ate, and walked around a little bit, went back to my room, and McKeon's calling me and saying, where are you? I said, what do you mean, where am I? <laughs> I'm in my room. Charlie wants to talk to you when you get to the ballpark. So, of course, it's a real long story, and I'm going to cut it short. We'd had a problem with the reliever the night before. He and McKeon got into it, and, and uh, Charlie had, had had these situations where he'd come in, whether we were at home or on the road, and, and he'd teach a little bit about hitting because we didn't hit the ball real well. And he always had a bat in his hand and choke up and all this. <laughs> And I knew it wasn't about the hitting this time. This had to be about what was said in the paper, or at least I was quoted as saying in the paper. And so I sit out in the middle of the clubhouse, and he'd walk by and he'd say, pack your bags and get out if you don't like it. And I looked up at the um, door going out to the field, and there's an umpire standing there. Well, we were five minutes over the time of the start of the game already. (laughs) And so he ended it, and and we all left, and McKeon came and said, Charlie wants to see you in my office. So I walked in. Of course, I'm before he can say anything. I didn't say that, Charlie. They misquoted and blah, blah. I said, oh, it's not about that, Steve. It was about so-and-so who the night before got into it with McKeon about pitching. Well, what had happened, our, our uh, closer, he brought him in in the second inning. And he pitched four innings, and then we went ahead, and he took him out before the fifth, so he couldn't get a win. <laughs> and, and the kid was a little upset, and so they went at it, and we had to break them up. He says, what are we going to do with Lacey? And I said, well, I said, I don't know. Anyway, Charlie was, you know, Charlie was pretty good, really, to me. And, and I did have a couple of run-ins with him on on when we leave to go to Toronto on a day off, if we leave before noon, we give up the meal money, then he'll fly us uh, in the uh, first class. If not, we'll take the later flight and pack us in the back. And it was over a half a day's meal money, you know. So the guys, you have to ask them, and they wanted they wanted to get the meal money, so we flew late and got in at, 10 or 11 at night instead of getting in at uh, a decent hour of 12 o'clock in the afternoon. But, uh, you know, smart, he, pretty smart man. Uh, he told me one day, he owed me some money that I had deferred, and he says, Steve, take this money and put it in Wendy's. Well, that was back in 78. And uh, I imagine if I'd have done it, I'd have been a little better off than I am now. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> but that was Charlie. 
That's great. Did you ever give him any grief about moving the Royal, or moving the A's out of Kansas City? Did that ever come up since you were a you know Kansas City kid or not? No, uh, <laughs> not at all. You know, and even after after uh, that was after he had sold off Catfish and all those guys. So then you signed with Boston prior to 79, and you spent you know two years there as a Red Sox in 79 and 80. How did you like Fenway, and then what was it like uh, playing under the late Don Zimmer? It was uh, fun to play at Fenway. Uh, great fans. You know, they, uh, they acknowledged the good and, and also acknowledged the bad. So you knew where they, where they stood. Uh, Zim was a product of Gene. Spent uh, a year or two as a coach with Montreal and uh, knew Gene, I think, before, and so probably learned quite a bit from him. At least he says he did when I talked to him. And and he's uh, uh, a guy to play for. He was a player's manager. And quite a team with Yaz and those guys and and uh, we always finished second to the Yankees <laughs> damn Yankees <laughs> damn Yankees <laughs> so this had to be extra frustrating you had another one hitter a while with Boston five for your career but at Oakland against your former teammates you go eight and a third with a no hitter and then Ricky Henderson singles talk about that day uh yeah, that was that was one you know where you sit down and then nobody sits next to you the last three innings, so you figure, well, you assholes. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know that type of thing. But uh, then you kind of because I don't. It wasn't a situation where I've got to get this guy out and I got one more and then another one. You know, you don't think about it. You go out and you pitch, and uh, so when they start not talking to you and sitting away from you and doing that kind of thing, you start thinking, what inning is it? Well, it's the seventh or eighth inning, you know, maybe that's what it is. But uh, I went out in the ninth, and <coughs> I think I got the first guy out. Yep. And uh, I may have even gotten two outs. And then Ricky, Ricky hits one off the end of the bat to the first baseman, Bob Watson. And it's one of those that's squirreling around, and it jumps to the left and goes by him. And uh, he had to run probably about three or four steps to get it, and I'm covering the bag. And, of course, Ricky could fly, so we didn't have a play. But uh, that's not what it says in the book. You know, it says it's a base hit. Right. (laughs) So everybody thinks it's a line drive to right or left or wherever. But uh, it, the, the odd thing or funny thing is uh, Nolan Ryan and I signed at the same time, and we were teammates uh, the first year in the rookie league. Oh. So down the road in Anaheim, he's pitching no here at the same time. <laughs> and uh, they've got it up on the board. It's the only reason I knew at the time. And I'll be darned. Two outs in the ninth, or one out, whatever it was, and he gives up a hit the same time I do. <laughs> so we both ended up with a partial one hitter or one hitters. Did you ever talk to him about that? No, uh, no, I haven't seen Nolan for quite a while. Well, any good memories of him from rookie ball? I mean, could you tell back that he was going to be a star? Well, 
here's a guy, 5'11", 175 pounds. Huh. And he threw from from little low three-quarter instead of up over the top, you know. So, And it wasn't near the 100 miles an hour that he was throwing two or three years later. But he grew uh, five inches and put on about 20 pounds over the next three or four years. And, and uh, gained a lot of velocity and started working on a pretty good curveball. Yeah, I'd say. So prior to '81, then you were. This is a blockbuster trade that you were in with uh, Fred Lynn to the Angels for Frank Tanana. So you know, leaving Boston, going to the Angels. Were you pretty excited at that point? Uh, you know, I enjoyed Boston, so it really didn't matter. But the Angels were fun, and uh, that first year we weren't real, real good. Uh, but. Uh, the next year, we had a pretty good ball club in 82 because we had Reggie, Freddie, and Downing in the outfield. And then, uh, oh, Carew, Gritch, uh, either Foley or uh, or uh, a kid that was in Boston, Rick Burleson. Yeah. And then DeCensus and Boone Caught. So we had nine guys or eight guys that were all stars playing uh, playing that year, and we we won the division, eighty two. Yeah, how was that pitching in the ALCS? Uh, I didn't get to pitch. Oh. That's another funny deal. We talked a little bit about Gene, and he had uh, oh myself, who I think was eight and four or something like that, and uh, also. Uh, Oh, gosh. Another guy. Forge, Kenny. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kenny Forge, who I think had won 16 or 15 ball games, And we never put on spikes. What? Yeah. Uh, we were in the bullpen, so we did have spikes on, but never tied them up, laced them up. And uh, he started Jeff's on in the third game. We went with uh, Tommy John, Keeson. And then we went to Milwaukee, and he started Jeff Zahn because he had won 17 ball games that year. And we won the first two ball games at home. Uh, to me, he should have gone with Kenny Forsh. And for that third ball game, and then he came back with Tommy John, and we lost that game. And then Keeson had a blister, and he still went with Keeson. So... Uh, he didn't manage that very well. He also had Andy Hassler, who had had one heck of a year, and didn't bring him in to face Cooper, I think, in a critical situation. We brought in a right-hander, and uh, the right-hander gave up a hit. Huh. So it was a situation that he didn't manage very well as far as pitching. Well, you'd pitch in uh, one more major league season at the age of 38 in 1983 here with the Royals. So what made you choose to sign with KC before 83 on February 9th, and, and how'd that come to be? Well, I'd used uh, Don Fear's brother as an agent that year. And of course, he lived here and had some ends with uh, negotiating some of the contracts and stuff. And and they had showed interest, and 
and so uh, it was home and an opportunity to play here. Yeah, that had to have been pretty appealing. How exciting was it to play for the Royals? Um, it was a period where they weren't very good, and I think they just started not being very good and were starting to rebuild, and some of the young pitchers were in the minor leagues at that time. Uh, Sabre Hagans and I think they got Jackson in the next year. And so it was Split and I and Gura, and uh, we didn't hit the ball real well like we like George and those guys had done before. But but in my opinion, you know, uh, um, they were starting to get a little old. Willie, Willie, and and some of those guys. And it was also a, a situation or a time when we had that drug. Uh, deal with the Royals. Oh, yeah. I think that hurt us. Yeah, that because was. we had uh, oh, five or six guys that were uh, either questioned or indicted on the drug thing. How weird was that to go through? Was that just an odd It was time? really strange yeah. because we had just been to New York and I'd gone over to see Marvin and he says, you need to have a meeting. He says, uh, Kansas City's really got the FBI looking and, and uh, checking telephone lines and all kinds of things. So tell them if they're doing anything, to quit it. So we had a meeting that night in New York, and I mentioned the whole thing, and I'll be darned, we got home, and I went to the ballpark, and on my chair there was a note that said, call Marvin's office from a payphone outside. So I went outside and called, and he, he gave me the information on who was the call when they got in and and some situations that were going on. Man, bizarre. So did you did you, did you know going into 83 that that probably be your last year in the major leagues? Did you kind of uh, You know the I felt like I could still play after that year and I told the Royals I said I'll go down but I uh, I'm not going to go down for nothing. If you want to give me some money uh, to go down and I said, all I want is twenty-five grand. And if I make the team, it's part of my salary. If I don't, then it's time for going down. And uh, uh, of course, they didn't want to do that. So, and they, you know, the the only thing that was tough about still playing was the travel. Uh, everything else was pretty good, you know. But I got. And I, and I think you can ask most players, the toughest thing about playing the game is the travel. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, now, the late Dick Hauser and then Cloyd Boyer, what was it like working with them? Uh, Dick was good. Dick was another uh, guy who I think was a, was a uh, player manager. And uh, you could sit down and talk to him and, and – uh, have a conversation and, and enjoy it. Uh, some of those guys, uh, you know, it, they were hard to talk to and, and really didn't give you too much time a day. They were just managers. Bobby Winkles was the guy I was trying to think of in. Uh, in uh, oh, I know that name, yeah. Playing in, in uh, Oakland. He was the manager to start with. Oh, the guy from Arizona State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so August 28th of that year with the Royals, I, I see that was your last outing. Did you end that year with an injury? Is that what happened? Mm, 
you know, I don't remember. I think they probably brought up a lot of young pitchers at the end of the year. Yeah, in September, yeah. So that might have been part of it, but if I, I think that maybe I had a growing pull. Oh, okay. But I'm not really sure. I don't remember that much. Now, how did you like pitching with Gaylord Perry? Because that, of course, was the one year he spent in KC, or part of the year. <laughs> yeah, it was fun to watch him. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, he had a ritual or routine and never never went away from it. <laughs> I love it. Any, any favorite George Brett memories? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. I, we went fishing one day, and uh, this was after I quit playing. And so his brother was in town, and he and a friend of mine, his brother, a friend of mine, and George, we went we went fishing. We went to this little pond, and they we gave them the little boat with a trolling motor, and, and Bill and I, my friend, had the canoe. So we're fishing, getting late, and said, the next one that catches a fish. Well, his brother hooked one and stood up and set the hook real heavy and tipped the boat over. (laughs) So we rowed over real quick. George is treading water. Said, oh, my God, we're going to lose the best baseball player (laughs) ever playing Kansas City. (laughs) He's going to drown. So I went over, and, and he grabbed side of our canoe, and I said, what are you doing? He said, I got a hold of the boat. So he had the damn boat with his one hand and was treading water. And I said, let go of the boat. No, I got it. So we rode over to the side, and he had saved the boat. His brother was hanging on. He got out, and he had caught the fish, and it was a treble hook, and it got hung up in his crotch, and the fish was just (laughs) flapping on the side. (laughs) He says, we win. We we caught the biggest and last fish. <laughs> yes, you did. But we almost lost George that day. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That is great. So then, by the way, one thing about we talked about you being a good hitting pitcher, obviously, because you were a first baseman. But you ended your career. You were the last major league pitcher to hit in the seven or eight hole until Tony Larusa got real creative in two thousand five. Was it tough to stay consistent? You know, hitting at the major league level as a pitcher. Right. Yeah. I, you know, pitchers don't hit much. They play. They uh, National League. Uh, you hit every day, but it's you're playing. You're playing home run games and that kind of thing. So it's just a fun time. Um, hard to hit. Yeah. You know, I, when I got older, I I was glad that I was in American League because I didn't have to hit. <laughs> Because it didn't. If you got a base hit, you're on base and you're running, and you get tired a lot quicker. I thought. Yeah. <laughs> so sense. I I didn't miss not hitting when I was in American League. Joy enjoyed hitting in the National League, and I did hit seventh one game. Got two hits and drove in two runs, I believe, or something like that. That's three awesome. Runs. And we won the game, but uh, uh, Pepe Frias and uh, the catcher below me uh, Terry Humphrey <laughs> that's cool the other good thing about being in the AL is you could start you know throwing inside more and not have to worry about getting retaliated right well I you know that was part of the game then yeah and even even later in my career they had taken a little bit of that away away from you but uh, 
there wasn't anybody wanting to throw at you as a pitcher because you you knew that they they had to hit, and so they we respected that. I think about it about uh, uh, pitchers and throwing at each other. But uh, you know the the other thing about uh, we got in seventeen brawls in one one year, seventeen fights in Montreal because we had hot head shortstop Tim Foley. Yeah. But uh, there were some <laughs> pretty good ones. <laughs> I love that. And uh, you don't see that much anymore. No, they're rare now, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, so last few questions for you. So when you look back at your major league career, I mean, I guess this is kind of a tough question, but what are you most proud of when you kind of think back to your baseball career? Uh, I don't know if it's proud or not, but the, the fact that I got to play against such great players. Right. In my opinion, and you probably hear that from the same, hear the same from all the players, uh, their era was the best and blah, blah, blah. Their players were better than so forth and so on. And, uh, since I didn't play with or against Babe Ruth, you know, the guys that I did play against were <laughs> pretty darn good. And uh, Bench and, and, and Rose and Perez and, gosh, you know, that's just one team. And it, it goes like that. Willie Mays and Stargell and McCovey and, oh, gosh, you know. Uh, to me, that was the big one. The greatest era of baseball. Who's your favorite? I was lucky enough to be part of it. Yeah, yeah. Who, who's your favorite uh, hitter that you ever retired? Is there, did you ever have an oh, wow moment? Like, oh, wow, I just got him out. You know, not really. Yeah. Um, I think that Cal Ripken's first at bat was against me, and I struck him out. Oh, that's cool. But, I, you know, somebody told me that, and I'm not sure that that's true or not. But I remember facing... Uh, Oh, Henry, Aaron, uh, Banks, you know, and those those kind of guys, Jimmy Williams or Billy Williams. And, uh, you know, Clemente, got to play against Clemente. How did uh, George do off of you before you were a Royal? George got a couple of hits. Yeah. You know, I don't think anybody didn't. <laughs> <laughs> now, how special was it for you? I, when you look back, was it kind of special to end your career here in KC? Uh it was easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we we had moved for oh, 12 years. You're on the road and and uh, lived seven or eight years in Montreal. And, you know, every summer you're in a different place. And this that year we didn't have to pack up and go anywhere. When spring training came back and everything was set up and ready to go. That's cool. Well, uh, thanks for your time. I guess the last question in summary, what would you like to say to, to Royals fans listening right now? Well, you know, it's an exciting time for them. And, and uh, this is that young team that a year or two ago they were looking for big things, and, and they're finally getting some of it. And uh, hopefully they can continue and finish out the season and go to the playoffs. Let's hope. Let's hope. Well, thanks for your for all your time and for the great stories and, and of course for what you gave to the Royals organization and for being a Kansas City boy and you know I'm sure all the KU fans love you as well. So thanks for joining us and, and stay in touch. Uh, we'll do that, David. <laughs>